From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 337. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, Bombus, and Microsoft Lists. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you. Ooh, okay. This one comes from John, and John wants to know, what is the first app that you open on your iPhone every morning? Does it change depending on the day of the week or other circumstances? Interesting question that I have a frustrating answer for, which is, I don't open my iPhone every morning. Mm. I don't don't unlock my iPhone. I don't sleep next to my iPhone. My iPhone is in the kitchen. Okay. So... I, re- I reject your premise, sir, but I do open my iPad every morning. Uh, it doesn't change based on day of the week because I am a person who lives in my home, works in my home, never leaves my home. I work for myself, so all the days bleed together. Sometimes I work on the weekend. Sometimes I work don't work on the day on the weekdays. I don't know. It, it's just all blurred together. So it's pretty much the same every morning, regardless. Right. Um, the app I open on the iPad is either it's usually Slack because I want to see what uh, what the people I know are talking about mm-hmm. and what's going on. And there's usually an alert where somebody has direct messaged me on Slack or. Uh, oftentimes I'm awakened to, um, Stephen Hackett posting a, uh, a, a funny post from one of the, uh, various ebook bots yep. that, that speak in our, our voices, which is hilarious because they make no sense and are funny. Um, but I, I will usually do that, um, because first thing in the morning, the la- you know, I don't, uh, the last thing I want to do is, uh, check Twitter immediately and, and, and have the, everything that's terrible in the world reflected to me i usually wait for that a little bit so so slack is mostly the answer sometimes it'll be twitter or, or a news app or net newswire or something like that um and it doesn't change based on day of the week and it's not on an iphone it's on an ipad I, I my iphone just sort of sits there unless there's something very specific that i want out of it i don't i don't uh have i don't use it routinely i mean I'll, if i leave the house on an errand or something i'll take it with me i don't even take it when i'm when i'm exercising outside because i just use my apple watch so yeah the iphone just it's just kind of parked on its little magsafe charger i did think that that was your answer but i i I seemed to remember that you um were a phone not in the bedroom person but i i wanted to use this episode as a this question as a way to confirm that and then see where you were going with it for me uh, typically, I guess the first app that I would tend to open is the clock app to turn off my many alarms once I'm awake. Um, but the real answer that people are looking for is, I guess, I look at my notifications and see yep. what is the most important thing from those to deal and that's with the re- first. That's the real answer for me, yeah. too, is that, I, is that I see notification center on the lock screen. Mm-hmm. Face ID is usually fired, and I am tapping on an alert from somewhere. So it, sometimes that'll be a text message that came in overnight, or it's a Slack DM, or it's a email. headline from a, a news source, or it's an email, and, and it catches my eye, and I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm. And, and it ends up being, there's somebody at Apple working on Notification Center who's like, yes, yes, that's Finally. the right answer. 
You get the Jew that I'm looking for. If you would like to send in a Snow Talk question to help us open an episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snow Talk or use question mark Snow Talk in the Relay FM members Discord and it may be included. Jason, you uh, have been doing something with the 20 Max for 2020 feed. You said to, to listeners, to Upgradians, not to unsubscribe from that feed, even though I the did. 20 Max for 2020 um program uh i think you what would we call it series there we go is over sure. um, i love program i love but, i love you saying that because i know you're saying it with the extra m e at the yeah, end of it of because it's british and it yeah. makes me feel very english. special it's english um mm-hmm. and so you uh have actually gone ahead and used the 20 max or 2020 feeds for and are going to for some like additional commentary and 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 uh deleted scenes yeah I was not lying when I said I didn't know what would go in it, but that, that people should keep it around and I didn't have any plans. I didn't have any plans, but I, uh, somebody asked and I was thinking about it too. Like I have all of the interviews I did that were the source material. And while they weren't intended to be released, uh, as complete things, I think they're interesting. And I didn't use most of the material. Like, the the I did a lot, many, many hours of interviews, and only portions of them are in the show. So what I, I I'm going to do at least a little bit. Not all the interviews are worth it because a lot of them are really much like I, I say the name of a computer and somebody talks about it for five minutes and it's not a conversation. But I have a few of them that are more like podcasts. They're more like conversations. And and uh the longest sessions I did for the whole project were my conversations with John Syracusa. And so I talked to John and I said, would you be okay with me releasing the raw conversation? He said, as long as there isn't anything, um, you know, anything bad in there. So I gave, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to them and taking out the parts where his dog starts barking and stuff like that. But otherwise it's fairly unedited. Um, and I did four interviews with John during the course of the project. One was sort of like a follow-up where I wanted to talk a little bit more about multiprocessing and all of that uh, to get a little more raw material for a very particular episode. Um, uh, but I have four hours of John Syracuse and, and me talking about old Max. So, um, the first hour plus of that is in that feed, uh, for members, for upgrade members and six colors members, and it will reach the public feed at some point in the next couple of weeks. And then there'll be a couple more hours of John Syracuse released. Uh, Beyond that, I don't know. I've got to look at what else I've got. And if I think there's other stuff in there worth, uh, worth going through and getting out into the world and i'll check with the people involved to make sure they're okay with that and maybe there will be some more of that so it's very much an appendix at the end of the project but um when i was looking at the stuff that i was doing with uh, with john i thought this is basically a podcast like what people will really like this and and i can i can get it in a in a sh- in shape mm-hmm. where it's even though it's it's literally just talking through number 20 and then number 19 and then number 18 but with with asides and tangents and all sorts of stuff in there so it's fun the first one's out now there are there are two more episodes uh to be prepped and posted with john i don't know when i don't know what the schedule's going to be but if you're if you deleted that feed and you're interested in hearing kind of this extra stuff uh, it get it back. You can log in to your account at yep. Relay if you're an upgrade member, or at Six Colors if you're a Six Colors member. I also put a link in the show notes that 
you can just tap it and and you just log in and you'll be able to go over the feed. Fantastic. Are, is you releasing the Snell cut? Is that what you're saying here? Is this the Snell cut that you're no, releasing? No, this this is the this is the raw footage. Right. It's just the raw footage. It's it's not it's not a re-edit or an expanded version or anything like that. But with, you know, with the with the the scripted style journalistic podcast format, which is what uh, 20 Max for 2020 was, you know, even when I let John Syracuse talk, I'm letting him talk for a minute. I'm letting him talk for 40 seconds. I'm letting him talk for a minute and a half. And I'm, he might've talked for 20 minutes about that particular Mac, but I only use the parts, you know, it's, it's, it's meant to be just the little highlights and weaving it together and telling a story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, so some people I hope will find it fun, and if you're on the regular feed and not the member feed, that's fine. Just uh, keep it around and or or subscribe back to it, and it'll pop up there eventually too. So we have a ton of stuff to get to today. Uh, lots of information. Q1 2021 earnings, six college report card. Uh, so why don't we take our first break now, and then we can jump into talking about uh, the Q1, the bumper Q1 earnings. Uh, that sure. Apple just posted last week. This episode is brought to you by Bombus. They make the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They've rethought every detail of the socks that we wear to make them more comfortable every day. What I love about Bombus socks, my favorite kind, my fa- they are like my favorite socks ever, they're ankle socks that they make. They are so incredibly comfortable. Before I found Bombus, I would have to wear like two or three pairs of ankle socks so that I didn't get pains in my feet or that my shoes didn't rub or whatever. Um, I absolutely love these things. They're padded just where I need them to be. They look super great, really comfortable. Uh, they stay up like, oh, I love them. Super great. Uh, but their entire sock line is fantastic. Everything is really comfortable. They've got a bunch of little innovations. Yes, there are sock innovations and Bombas created them. Uh, and they have loads of different great styles as well. They do more than just keep feet cozy. Bombas give back to the most vulnerable members of their communities because for every pair of socks that you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to somebody in need. And thanks to the generosity of Bombas customers, they have donated over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of more than 3,000 giving partners. And this impact is more powerful than ever because for people that are experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on something clean, some fresh clothes, a small comfort that's important. So, give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash upgrade. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off your first purchase. Go there right now. That's bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. All right, so Q1 2021 earnings time, Jason Snell. Um, we would We touched on this last week because... It was coming up. We were both surprised by it. And <laughs> one of the reasons I brought it up it, so yeah. that's <laughs> was that uh, it was expected that Apple would cross $100 billion in revenue, which was higher than any possible guidance and would be the first time that they'd done it in history. Their previous largest quarter was $91.8 billion, which was the last quarter, right? Like that was Q4 2020. Um, and not only did they cross $100 billion, uh, they left it uh, in. Oh, sorry, uh, it was Q. 
one 2020 was the 91.8 billion holiday previous. holiday 19 last yeah. year's holiday quarter uh, yep. calendar 19 that was which is always their, their biggest yeah, yeah that exactly. was that was that was 91.8 and they went to 111.4 so almost 20 billion dollars more That's revenue than the year really wild quarter yeah like i was i was digging around today but the, the date would have been too far back for me to to find something relevant like i was wondering like when was apple's last 20 billion quarter right you know what i mean uh-huh. like just like they they did an entire quarter's worth of jump over the last previous quarter um 28.8 billion dollars in profit um but just just to underscore 111 billion dollars is absolutely obscene like it's obscene it's an obscene amount of money uh but they they did it and there's loads of reasons like it's not just re- it doesn't really seem to be one reason so the mac saw $8.7 billion in revenue. It was the second largest quarter in history for the Mac um, with last year, the last quarter of, of, uh, of 2020 being the, the biggest one before that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll dig into some more of this in a bit. Uh, the iPad saw $8.4 billion of revenue. It was the largest iPad quarter since 2015. The mm-hmm. iPhone saw $65.6 billion in revenue, making it the largest iPhone quarter in history. Wearables and Home was at $13 billion, another largest quarter ever. Uh, services was 15.8. The services quarter is always the biggest because of the way services works, but it was yeah. the largest year-over-year increase since 2018. Um, and just as a data point, because we're going to dig into some of this in a bit, there was 57% year-over-year growth in China for Apple. After a couple of years of no real China and a loss last quarter. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a big, big up in China for sure. And we're back to uh, 59% of the revenue generated by the iPhone. That had been shrinking uh, a little bit. Um, but now, big, you know, it makes sense for a bunch of reasons. Like the, the iPhone story is an interesting one uh, because, look, all of the iPhones, all of the new iPhones were sold in one quarter which certainly helps not mm-hmm. only the iPhone year-over-year boost and making it the biggest iPhone quarter ever, also helps as being a decent reason as to why this was the largest year, uh, largest quarter in Apple's history. Because usually the, the opening of the, the iPhone sales for the year, the new models, starts in the previous quarter and then is also in their holiday quarter too, as well as see the majority, but they're it's not all of it um and that has definitely been a, a contributing factor this time right yeah it's it's uh not it, this is an extreme quarter but it's not a bad thing to point out that if you put the mac and the ipad together and more than triple it it still doesn't match the iphone revenue <laughs> so yeah. just as a reminder why apple is so focused on the iphone um, that's why yeah because it's it's not it that the Mac the and the iPad are not great, huge businesses, but the iPhone generates just an enormous amount of revenue for Apple. Uh, now, there's some intriguing stuff about what's going on here. So Apple said that there was very high level of interest in a new lineup, especially the Pro phones. What did you think about that? Yeah, I. so we had these stories about how Apple was cutting back, and somebody actually said that that wasn't accurate. Uh, which I thought was interesting, cutting back on uh, production of the iPhone 12 mini. And everybody who likes small phones was like, oh, no. And um, 
you know, the Macalope was very upset and all of those things, right? Yeah, and I, but they, I was, they did that with the iPhone 10. I mean, they didn't then abandon yeah. the notch, well, but like that and was it doesn't mean it's. Then. It also doesn't mean it's selling badly. It means it's selling lower than expectation, and it's a question of whether that's actually true or not. I thought it was interesting, though, that Apple said at mo- multiple points in their call, the pro phones especially, they kept saying that. Now, part of that may be talking to financial analysts. They want to make the... Now that they've taken the unit sales out of their reports, we don't know how many they sold, right? They, they, they hide that now. All we get is revenue, which means that you can't actually construct what we used to be able to construct, which was an average selling price, the average price of an iPhone, which tells you something about was the average iPhone down in the iPhone 12 mini range? Mm. Or was it up in the Pro Max range? Like, what was it? Was the average selling price of an iPhone nine hundred dollars or a thousand dollars? It makes a difference, and we don't know. There are analyst firms that estimate, but we don't know. And I think part of what Apple was doing here was sort of sending that signal without giving out any details. <laughs> that uh, they said the ASPs were up, right? The average selling price went up, but they said especially great demand for the Pro models. Um, which are more expensive. So I think they're sort of trying to tell Wall Street, trying to tell all the investors that even though they make these cheaper phones, the non-pro models, that the greatest demand was for the pro models and that they they, they were like pumping it up. Like the the pro models are great. Like they're really fueling uh, increased average selling price and that means more profit for Apple and yippee, right? I think think that's what they're doing there. It strikes me that's interesting also because when people were talking about, well, you know, maybe the 12 mini isn't selling that well. It's like, well, nobody said that about the 12 and the 12 seems to be the mainstream phone. And you would think that the 12 would probably be the best seller of all of them. But Apple didn't pump up the sales of the 12. It pumped up the sales of the 12 Pro and Pro Max, the Pro models. I don't know what it means. But it gives me pause, at least, that maybe some of our assumptions about how we think the spread of sales of these products is not uh, needs to be recalibrated because Apple was very much saying that the pro models were the ones that were in the greatest demand. And, and maybe it's maybe it's just trying to tell everybody, yes, we make cheaper iPhones every year now, but trust us, people, more people want the pros. And that's that's a good message when you're not releasing your average selling price anymore. Because we don't know, all we know is is revenue. We don't know units, and and so they're saying no, no. It was the it was the we sold those expensive ones. Those are the ones we sold. <laughs> and and I'm sure that having more choice than they've than they've had maybe ever in the iPhone line has helped. Um, and you know, they may have over forecast the iPhone 12 Mini, but I can't imagine that they would can it. In one shot, no. I don't. I don't either. And I think it's because of people trying to attach old behavior on a new situation. If that makes sense, I think the mini, the twelve mini, exists in a in a universe where there are four or five iPhones, right? Not every iPhone, first off, not every iPhone literally can be the best-selling iPhone, right? Like, the more iPhones you make, some of them will sell better than others. That's how it works. The Mini exists in a world where Apple is making enough phones that they can afford to sell a phone to a niche market. That's the whole point of selling five brand-new iPhones, which they released five brand-new iPhones 
in 2020 if you can't throw in the uh, the second generation SE, right? Five brand new iPhones in 2020. Four new iPhones in the fall of 2020. It's not meant to... Now, maybe it's a total flop and they're like, well, why are we even bothering? But I don't think so. I think it's that they want a product line. They want a mm-hmm. range and they want to let people... It's not like... It's a different size, but it, the internal components are the same. It's the same stuff that's in them. And... I would. I also do subscribe to the policy or the uh, the view. Let's say that um, first off, a lot of the pent up demand for a small phone was uh, bled away by the release of the SE second generation in the spring. And those people, if they had not had that release, they might have waited around and gotten the twelve mini. And two, the twelve mini people are probably as the twelve people actually the non pro buyers probably not as likely to be the buyers who rush in first thing a new iPhone is put on sale and buy the iPhone, if that makes sense. The pro buyers are the real phone nerds, I would say. Again, not everyone, but I think more ten- more of a tendency to be the, the, the tech nerds who are like, they want the latest and greatest and they want the pro. And I would probably guess that the 12 and 12 mini will sell better in the next three quarters compared to the pro models than they did in this first quarter, if that makes sense. And the mini, especially like, I think people who are going to buy that phone, they're not like, not even going to look for a new phone until spring or summer or something like that. And they're going to be like, Oh, look, there's a little iPhone. Great. And, and so I think, you know, take it easy. Uh, pent up demand for people who are like the most enthusiastic iPhone buyers is not the whole market. And having four or five phones available means that some of those phones aren't going to sell as well. Um, so I think that I, I think that it's possible that the mini is just a dog and nobody likes it, but I think it's more far more likely that it is exactly what we think it is, which is a niche product that is not ever meant to be the best-selling iPhone, but it's an iPhone in a larger collection and it has appeal to a certain market. In his daily update last week, Ben Thompson focused on China with the iPhone a lot, um, suggesting that this could be where a lot of the growth happened. So we have a couple of key think thoughts around that, which which makes sense to me. Apparently 5G is much more prevalent in China. Like it's it's more built out. So a 5G iPhone is something people would want more maybe than in other markets. If that's true, um, which I believe it is, I, I didn't know this was the case, right? Uh, I can understand maybe why 5G was given the prevalence for Apple that it was if like they had a hint right which yeah. you would assume that they did that like if we that that 5G would get them a lot of ch- sales in China like right and everybody you know. in America and Europe kind of roll rolling their eyes a bit at the 5G stuff especially mm-hmm. Europe is my understanding is even slower at this than than it the depends. US is in terms of 5G it depends and we all look at each other and are like uh, and it's like, well, no, but it's China. It's all about China. Yeah. Like every phone in China is a 5G phone and they've got had a big 5G rollout and people really want 5G and it's a, it's going to be a driver of demand. And there are iPhone users in China who are holding out because they want the 5G phone, which means there's pent up demand in China. They're going to sell a lot of these phones. Um, and then you throw in the fact that it looks different, which has been something we've talked about uh, again and again, mm-hmm. which is you change the look of the iPhone externally and it sells better. 
especially in China, but really everywhere, because then it's sort of like, oh, it's different. I can get it. I can get the new iPhone look. Yep. And that's a factor. And you put those two together and, and, and Apple releases phones that are 5G and look different. And look, uh, China revenue shot, shot up by 50 plus percent like that. There you go. There it is. It's not not a surprise, yep. I would say. Not really and a surprise. Ben also mentioned something that I hadn't thought of before, which is this is the first big notched phone with a new design. Because the 10s Max existed, but it was just a bigger version of the 10 visually. And mm-hmm. so, like, bigger phones tend to sell better in Asia. And this is a bigger phone, the biggest phone, and it yes. looks new, mm-hmm. would drive a lot of upgrades. And Ben also mentioned something about Huawei, which is very interesting. So, Huawei, you know who they are. You may not have known that Huawei were the biggest uh, manufacturer of phones in the world up until a couple of years ago. They were selling more phones worldwide than anybody. They took over Samsung, then Apple, or Apple, then Samsung, whatever way around it was. And Huawei being restricted from using Android has significantly hurt their market. Yeah. And so it seems like potentially Apple is taking up room left by huawei as well in china so it's a lot yeah, of there's interesting some stuff indication there. that apple is literally um eating some of huawei's market in china that literally there's a transfer going on <laughs> to a certain point yep. and that's you know that's a that's a recurring theme in the results and in the conversation they had with analysts which is okay I talked about it here before, you know, we all know the effect where Apple comes out with record results and their stock goes down and people complain about why, why is the stock going down? And it's all about what Wall Street values, right? What Wall Street, uh, all our expectations are already baked into the stock value. So when they do something we expected, it doesn't go up because that expectation was already baked into the stock. Uh, But what a lot of people won't notice is, did they make a forecast for the next quarter and was that down? They've stopped doing forecasts during COVID because they're like, this is too uncertain and we don't know. And I also think Apple doesn't like doing forecasts and this is a good excuse to not do a forecast. But one of the things you also have to know when you look at this stuff is that the primary factor, the lens through which Wall Street, you know, investment in general looks at companies is growth, right? It's not how big are you? How much profit are you throwing off? That's great. They throw out dividends. You get cash back if you own an Apple, own Apple stock. That's great. But growth, where's the growth come from? And Apple's gotten beaten up over that for a while now because, of course, the iPhone growth was just exponential for a while, just enormous. And everybody loved Apple. And then after the iPhone 6 cycle went and everybody did that, you know, because that was a very brand new and big phone and that was their biggest phone launch ever. Um, And then the numbers came down Mm -hmm. and everybody's like, oh, no, the iPhone isn't growing anymore doom for apple and of course the iphone just had its record revenue quarter so it it is growing again but it it had a peak and then it kind of tailed off and it's growing slower and slow growth and all that happen again next year like next year's iphone results are not going to look like this they just exactly so apple is trying to talk more about what its growth opportunity is. Because I think Apple realizes, Apple executives realize that they've gotten beaten up a little bit the last few years where people look at $110 plus billion in revenue and say, how can this company grow more? Like, how is it possible 
that Apple can grow more. It's so huge and successful and one of the biggest success, most successful companies in the world. How can it grow more? And so especially this time, there was a lot of effort made, I would say, on the on the part of Apple executives to talk about growth opportunity. And I thought that was one of the fascinating things they said. So you mentioned Huawei and and how that's a growth opportunity. Tim Cook said, look, in most of these markets, we are not, we do not have an enormous market share. There's room for us to grow and take market share away from our competitors. Mm -hmm. They have talked for a while now as a part of this about what percentage of their buyers, especially of Macs and iPads, are new to the platform. That's growth, right? They've started talking about uh, their... Uh, their installed base, which is like active devices in use. The idea there that if you if you buy a new iPad, but you hand down the other iPad, there's one more iPad in use. It's an it's a net gain of an iPad. So they're rolling all of that stuff together. And then what I thought was really interesting, um, which which is about the Mac. So we should talk about the Mac a little bit more. Yep. Is he very specifically said? Uh, Tim Cook said um, the M1 and Apple Silicon essentially gives us. Uh, new growth in personal computers. And if you look, it's very subtle, again, very Tim Cook subtle, uh, but very clear what he was saying, which is if you look at our market share in personal computers, it's not very big. And we think that Apple Silicon gives us a new trajectory there. Isn't that wild? In 2021, <laughs> we're going yeah, back he's to saying this. Essentially, <laughs> Apple Silicon is so good that if you think the Mac is just going to have 9 or 10% of the PC market, we think we can do way better than that because our chips are so much better than what is available on Windows. That's what he's saying. And I, I just, first off, I laugh at that because it's like, oh, yeah, get them, Tim, get them. <laughs> but it, it's, it's true. You know, Apple is profitable and as successful as it is. In very few places does it have even greater than 50% market share, right? It, it, it's it's taken a lot of the profit share of all of these markets. But like, is there room for Apple to grow? They're making the case that there is. And we can. De- it's certainly debatable. But I think it's funny that Tim Cook actually goes out and calls out the PC market and says, now that we've got Apple Silicon on the Mac, we're going to kill it on the PC market too. So watch out. That's what he's saying. It's just wild to me that in 2021, we're now talking about Mac versus PC market share again. Like, this isn't a bad thing. Like, the reason is good, but it's just so wild to me that we're back here. But it is a huge growth area because, you know, not it's not complete as a complete one to one. But for as many people as have smartphones in the world, there are computers, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's not one to one and different parts of the world have a different makeup of this. But there are lots of computers in the world, right, that are used by people. And there's a lot of potential market there, like a massive potential market there in personal and business use. Mm -hmm. If you want to grow the company, I mean look, you're not gonna you're not gonna uh find eighty like $60 billion, right? Like, you're just not going to find that. It's too much. But they could find two, two, three, four times the amount that they're currently doing. Yeah, and I, think their arg- and I think their argument is iPad growth, and they talk about that a lot, that there are a bunch of people who are new to iPad. They've had great success in getting iPad into the enterprise, into large companies that want to have a simpler device in a, in a way that's, that's easier to maintain, but that they can use 
Um, so that's part of their strategy is to replace PCs and businesses with iPads and not necessarily Macs. They can do that. So like iPad has a lot of room to grow. The Mac has a lot of market share it could take away from Windows. The iPhone still in a lot of markets is not particularly strong. They were talking about how in India they had... I forget what it was. They had a really good quarter in India and it's still like not a to drop in the bucket of what's available. Mm-hmm. And they said there are a bunch of other developing markets that are like that. So that's a growth opportunity for them. And services continues to grow and they keep adding new services. And wearables has done really well and continues to grow. Plus they've got whatever they're spending all their money on in R&D, right? And that they, they are putting together... Now again, I'm not saying this is all true or at least all going to happen the way they think it's going to happen. But you can see that Apple is very strongly saying we have a growth story and it's all over the place it's iphone growth uh it's it's ipad and mac growth in businesses and in consumer it's growth in developing markets where we aren't very good right now uh and it's new products that we aren't going to talk about but we're spending a lot of money to research and we're going to grow there too and the reason they're doing and again you could look at apple's numbers and say why are they even talking about growth they made 111 billion dollars in revenue and generated 28 billion 28.7 billion dollars in profit in 3 months and the answer is because they're a publicly held company and growth is the language that the people in the investment world speak so they Mm -hmm. need to talk about growth but uh they do make a strong case it would be it's a harder case to make if you're um like people talk about facebook and and how facebook's growth is constrained by the number of people on planet earth like literally you can only be everywhere Uh, it's that kind of thing if like if apple had 90 percent of the smartphone market worldwide it would be hard to talk about growth (laughs) but it doesn't so they're making the case. It's it's really interesting. And and yes, Mac versus PC is part of the case because of Apple Silicon. Now, a cynic would say that the way that Tim Cook finally got excited about the Mac is that they put the iPhone processor in it. <laughs> but but I would, you know, a more nuanced view is that Apple Silicon arriving on the Mac really does give them a, a an advantage over the competition that they couldn't have as long as they were using the same chips as the competition. It could, you know, it could be argued that putting the iPhone chip in the Mac is what has finally made the Mac comparable and better than what is available hardware-wise from the PC space. Yeah. Well, I mean, comparable is a funny one. Like, I think the problem with having Intel in the Mac was that it was too comparable. It was too... To same parallel same it, it, because it was the same they were the same it chips. was yeah. literally the same whereas even with just the m1 which i'll remind everybody it's the low-end apple silicon processor on the mac it's these are the low-end models these are the slowest apple silicon computers ever to be released okay mm-hmm. and even they kind of blow away a large part of the pc market that's where their confidence is coming from And that's something that they couldn't do as long as they were on Intel, because literally you could look at the part number and say, well, that part number is also available in this PC from Dell. And now you can't. And and whether they're right or not, and I I think it's I think there's an interesting question of who buys Windows PCs and why do they buy them? And, you know, Apple has been saying for a long time that a huge percentage of the people who buy Macs and Apple stores are new to the Mac. So there's been some flow in that direction. Is Apple Silicon something that changes that dynamic in a way that that drives a lot 
of of Mac sales. Is it something that we might not see now because it's selling a lot of MacBook Airs, <laughs> but that we might see in the next round when the MacBook Pro that's got you know some serious power, more power behind it, tempts more people? I don't know, but um, Apple's talking a good game that this is this is going to change the dynamic because they're no longer going to be able to be compared you know, and be saddled with the Intel processor that makes them look like just another PC. They're not that anymore. iPad and Mac sales, you know, they continue to grow and grow fast because of uh, COVID work school changes. It's accelerated trends. Yeah. uh, The pandemic has. But for these product lines, we're seeing signs of improvement before 2020. And the M1 Max would have always been a help. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that Last quarter would not have been the biggest quarter ever. That this quarter would have been more likely to do that, um, if in a no pandemic world, right? Because there wouldn't have really been a reason why, uh, the third calendar quarter would have been as big as it was. Right. right? Well, I think that yeah, that's the feeling is that the last two quarter Mac quarters, which were both great, and and that last quarter was the biggest quarter ever. Um, were driven by sales of people who either needed a computer at home because of the pandemic or an additional computer at home because they got multiple people who need to be on their computer or they yep. had an old computer and they needed to replace it and it kicked off this replacement cycle in advance of the release of Apple Silicon, which is interesting. And and yet still, and with that and the compl- supply constraints on some Al- Apple Silicon Macs, Apple still had the second best Mac quarter of all time. So it's back to back the two best Mac quarters ever. Um, just now, which again, Mike, I have to stop us and say, you mean you mean the year 2020 was the best year the Mac has ever had? Yes, <laughs> yes, it was. Weirdly. Year 2020. Yeah. It, this this computer that's been around for all this time, and it's like no, but in the year 2020, uh, was the best for the Mac. So and and the message seems to be just wait, because this Apple Silicon thing is going to keep driving that growth. So. We'll see because the the countervailing force, the the um, the tough compare, the headwinds, whatever financial sector phrasing you want to use, is that they that they discharged a bunch of that pent up demand because of the the pandemic, and that Mac sales and maybe computer sales in general will be suppressed for the next couple of years because in 2020 everybody bought a laptop or an iPad or both or whatever. And it was really good for 2020, but going forward, um, we're going to have a lull because the replacement cycle won't begin for another two or three years. That's the counter argument. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll have to see what happens in 2021. I'm, I'm guessing that what Apple's doing on the Mac is going to manage to keep the Mac doing really well and above its previous level. Whether they're going to hit $9 billion again in the Mac, I don't know. That that's a that's a tough one. That that one really might be a, a severe outlier. Um, we'll just have to see. But just keeping in mind that previously, Apple was doing you know seven billion in in back to school and holiday quarters and like five or six in the other quarters. And that's my question: is will they co- go back to that level? Will they go below that level, or will they end up above that? Will they have they will they have pushed the the average Mac? sales number higher we'll see last thing guidance for 2021 is all over the place like it's too it's there's a lot of tough compares no, i mean 
Apple's not tough comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Apple. Apple's not giving any guidance at all. It's like yep. COVID. We don't know. We don't know what's what's going to happen. Um, but you're right. The 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 phrasing that they use is the tough compare, and there are going to be some right. They're going to be uh, good. The downside of having a good year is that you have to follow it up the next year, and you're comparing against the year ago quarter, which means you have a really great quarter. The next quarter, if it's good, is going to look down. Because it wasn't great. It was mm-hmm. only good. So uh, Apple has had such a great 2020 calendar wise, which again, every time they talk about it, they're very kind of embarrassed. And they're like, we know it's very hard out there and it's very bad. And uh, we feel for everybody in our communities and everybody who's suffering because of the pandemic. And it's really bad. By the way, uh, I said all that while I was rolling in money. <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're embarrassed about it. But that's the fact is like 2020 was a spectacularly good financial year for Apple. And yeah, 2021 is going to be um, harder for them when measured against growth, right? Which is, again, that's the that's the story here is uh, what was it versus the year ago quarter. And, and if Apple next holiday quarter delivers a $100 billion quarter, people are going to be disappointed because it's going to be down year over year. So that's what they're up against. And uh, we'll have to see given that there's probably not a new buying cycle, given that there's not going to be a new iPhone design and, uh, you know, pent up demand for 5G and all those things that happened with the 12, they're going to have a challenge to, uh, to meet up, you know, to, to meet what they did in 2020. I could argue, you know, the counter argument, which is that for everybody who rushed to buy technology in 2020 because they needed it, there are also people who probably deferred buying because they didn't have money, because their financial situation was questionable, because they felt like they could get by with what they already had, because they weren't going anywhere, so they didn't need a new phone. And that if in 2021 things open up a little bit more, the counter argument is that some people actually deferred their purchases in 2020 and might pick them up in 21. That would be the counter argument if, you, if you're looking for a case for. But I, I think... It's going to be like the year after the iPhone 6 a little bit where the numbers are going to come out and they're going to be down year over year a little bit. And people are going to be like, oh, what's going on with Apple? And the answer is going to be really Apple still at a really high level. It's just not 2020 because of all of those extenuating circumstances. But who knows? Yeah, like if you compare them, if you compare 2021's numbers to 2019's numbers and ignore 2020... That can be an easy, a better thing to do, which is what well, we were doing in 2017 that, or whatever. That's that's what we had to do. Is like is 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 the trend up? If you take out this kind of aberrant spike, is it, are they still moving upward? Generally, is the tide generally lifting? And that's something you can get you can try to get an eye on because that's the difference between is Apple after the iPhone six. The question was, is Apple over? right? <laughs> Which people always want to have. Is it peak? Are we at peak Apple? And it's just going to go down from here. And if you if you looked at the data and you kind of like just ignored that spike in 16, the trend for, for 17 versus 15 was up. The quarters, the, the versus the two year ago quarter, everything was up. And so what you end up saying is that's a one-time aberration and that the, the, the tide is going to keep rising. And that was absolutely true. So that's something to look for as well is, is how aberrant was, was 2020. I'm going to, I'm going to guess it's not peak Apple because it's never peak Apple. It seems, but uh, it'll be a tough compare in, in 21. 
This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Microsoft Lists, your smart information tracking app in Microsoft 365. Keeping track of information is something that's in everybody's job descriptions today, writing things down for simple lists, but it can get overwhelming when you need to stay on top of hundreds of items and get others to pay attention and act. Microsoft Lists is a Microsoft 365 app that helps you easily track information and organize your work. Lists are simple, smart, and flexible, so you can stay on top of what matters most to you and your team. You can track issues, assets, routines, contacts, inventory, and more using customizable views and smart rules with alerts to keep everybody in sync. There's ready-made templates, so you can quickly start lists online, and they have a new mobile app for iOS and directly within Microsoft Teams. And because it's a part of Microsoft 365, you can rely on enterprise-ready security and compliance. I was checking out Microsoft Lists. They gave me like a demo of it. It was super cool. I loved how easy it was to create lists. They have a bunch of great templates. Like with with like these are what you can do with them. Some are like to create a content plan for your blog or for the, your marketing strategy or an inventory for the technology that you have at home or in your office. Everything's laid out super simply. It's really easy to understand. And if you're setting up a new list from scratch, they have great tools to help you create the the forms for the entries so you could choose that you would want to have text entered here or images you could have yes or no questions multiple choice loads of great data options that you can very easily turn into a tool that can very very quickly very simply collect the information you're looking for and they also have automation functions built in so if you mark say for example if you marked an item as as complete it could fire off an email to someone so this could be really great working with your teammates your list just got a whole lot smarter get more done with microsoft lists go to aka.ms slash ms lists for more information videos demos blogs and more that is aka.ms slash ms lists there'll also be a link in the show notes for that make a list and let it flow our thanks to microsoft lists for their support of this show and relay fm so apple's reported on its quarterly results it's now time for you to report on Apple's 2020 in total. It's time oh, for no. the Six Colors Report Card. It's report card time. Everybody likes getting a report card. Oh, I'm being informed that some people didn't like getting a report card. Well, uh, yes, I have compiled my annual list of... I, I want to make this clear again. I don't vote in the report card. Mm-hmm. It's not my opinion. It's the opinion of 55 people who I asked what their opinion was of Apple, as I do every year. I take a group of people developers, writers, podcasters, stuff like that. People involved in discussing Apple and technology and ask them to vote uh, rank from one to five um, how they think Apple's doing in a bunch of categories. And uh, then we talk about it here on Upgrade. This is uh, this is the sixth time wow. that this whole process has happened. This is year six, which uh, I got a very nice text from John Gruber the other day who said, um, I can't believe it's six years for the Six Colors report card. I still think of Six Colors as a new blog. <laughs> I was like, well, compared to Daring Fireball, it is a new blog, John. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is year six. So this is a project where how many people are on the list? You said 55, right? 55 answered the call this year. Some people 
didn't right. it was 2020 mike some people are like i can't do it this year mm-hmm. and and that's i i understand that it's funny because i really only just want their numbers they don't have to fill out the form with all their commentary but people mm-hmm. do want to do that so some people didn't do it this year and that's fine the number went down a little bit but um, i'm always adding people to the distribution list and then it's just up to them if they want to i give them a couple of weeks very late december and early january to fill out the form and tell me what they think because i want to measure so the goal here is to measure sentiment about Apple and compare it to previous years. And, you know, I think it can be misunderstood as being like, are we trying to say Apple is good? Are we trying to say Apple is bad? I'm trying to find out what the, for lack of a better phrase, what the vibe is about Apple in various areas. What's the what's the kind of and it's an average, so it is conventional wisdom. And the somebody who thinks that Apple is terrible and somebody who thinks Apple is perfect are going to be outliers and they're going to kind of wash out and we're going to end up with a narrower range of scores, but I think they can be informative um, both as a snapshot of sentiment uh, at a particular time. And also by looking now at the trend over six years, a sense of how people's mood about various categories has changed over time. So that's, that's why I find it valuable is it's really like getting the mood, the mood in the room for, what Apple is doing good and bad and what things uh, pop up as sore spots and what things pop up as being viewed as successes in a given year. So we're going to, I'm going to go through all the scores and we'll touch on them and expand on them a little bit because I am also keen because you don't add your commentary. I'm keen to see uh, if there are any scores that, that go against in any way what you would in what you would have expected or what you would score yourself. The highest score is the first uh, category this year, which is the Mac, which got 4.7 out of 5, up 1.1 year over year, which I expect is probably one of, if not the largest year over year change, probably in the scorecard's history. It might be. I didn't check that. It's the highest score any category has gotten in the history of the the report card. Yeah. And 4.7. I mean, you who couldn't have guessed that, right? Surely, right? Well, um, actually, that's one of the things that that surprised me about it uh, is that I think I think a lot of people, uh, if you if you read the verbatim comments about the Mac, what you find is that a lot of people gave Apple Silicon so much credit that they couldn't bear to downrate it for Big Sur, <laughs> but that people still expressed their discontent in some of the design changes especially and some of the security changes in Big Sur it was definitely there was definitely an undercurrent and you saw it come out more in the software quality category than in the Mac category but there was this undercurrent that was sort of like all right Apple Silicon yeah but and then the butts were uh but but Big Sur and also mm-hmm. but Apple Silicon came at the end of the year and before that, it was rougher. Um, and basically what they were doing is replacing the bad keyboard with the better keyboard. But they did replace it. So that's, in the end, the Apple Silicon just kind of won out. So the, there's a lot of, like, an undercurrent of, uh, but I've got some issues. I just, if I had to predict, I think a lot of people voted five out of five and then said, this isn't actually a perfect score, but Apple Silicon. And and I think that that is why it got a lot of fours. And uh, an awful lot of fives to get a, a four point seven rating. So that that's what they were going for. Yeah, it's it's funny, really, that like the M one atoned for any of the problems of Big Sur, because 
there are complaints about Big Sur in sure. the report card in the Mac column. Um, I I would like to personally. I'm not asking you to change this. I would love to see how things score if people were just doing hardware and software separately. Um, it's like what there, you know. What do you think about Mac hardware? And what do you think about Mac software? What do you think about iPhone hardware, iPhone software, that kind of thing? I think it'd be intriguing. Um, but I understand the the thinking behind bundling them together into one package. But in the comments, there are a lot of people that are frustrated with things in Big Sur. But ultimately, the quality of the products this year, the hardware products, and the the jumps that we've seen there, is what's pushed the Mac up as high as it is. Yeah, and I mean, you can see the reaction in people buying, rushing out to buy M1 Macs, right? Is, well, you know, because they, just keep in mind, they all run Big Sur. People are like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. I got to get an M1 Mac. I love it. It's the best. It's like, and it's running Big Sur. So clearly, that's just how people experienced the whole Mac equation is like, yeah, we can quibble about Big Sur, but oh my God, have you seen this M1 MacBook Air? And that's that's 2020 in the Mac. Yep. <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, and there's a lot of optimism as well, right? Like similarly to, you know, Apple thinking they're going to sell well. People are thinking that this is like, a, if you are a person who loves the Mac, which is, I'm sure, pretty much everybody on the list, you know, to varying degrees, but I can't imagine there are like a lot of Mac haters here. There's so much optimism going into 2021 and beyond, like over this two-year rollout now of like, wow, you've really set the stage and we imagine we're only going to be further, like more like more impressed as time goes on. So it's an exciting time. The iPhone scored 4.3, which is up 0.3 year over year. Um, overall, people were happy with the choices in the lineup. Uh, the new design ticked a lot of people's boxes and MagSafe as well. People loved widgets in iOS 14, but as we expected for people in the US and Europe, 5G was basically seen as a, as a bit of a dud. Yeah, I mean, we all felt it, right? Um, the 5G thing was sort of like, meh. Uh, you know, it, it, most people didn't get excited about that. The redesign people really did like the fact that it's got the flat sides and that you've got the larger phone and the little phone and all of that. And after a year where, um, to talk about the trends, cause the Mac, I, I didn't even mention the Mac has been trending up since 2016, 2016 was the sort of the depths of that disastrous, um, design of the MacBook Pro with the butterfly keyboard and with the USB-C only and all of that. And the Mac score has gotten better every year <laughs> since then. So it's sort of like Apple. You can see Apple trying to work its way back from that uh, kind of disaster. The iPhone last year kind of was flat and this year took a bump up. So definitely sentiment was more on Apple's side this time than last year. The iPhone's kind of like sure right like the the score of that is like yeah i mean new iphones uh new designs uh I, i'd say it's a good it's a good score but i think also it was not a completely you know super enthusiastic uh like the mac i mean it's hard to compare it to that mac score that mac score is the yeah. best score ever so yeah people are really hyped about the mac but the iphone had a solid year and it increased in the panel's estimation and i think that's meaningful the iPad scored 3.7, down 0.2. 
Uh, it seems like really that this this item was saved by the Magic Keyboard and cursor support for the most yeah. part. The new iPad Air is a favorite as well. I would say the iPad, because the iPad score um, shot up in 2017 with the introduction of uh, new iPad Pros and, and new iPad models and all that, and has been drifting downward. But good scores, but drifting downward. And I would say, um, I'd almost flip around what you said and say the cursor support and the Magic Keyboard made people really enthusiastic about the iPad in 2020. Yep. Yeah, but and the and the new iPad Air that's got iPad Pro features, but there's confusion about the iPad line because what about the iPad Pro? It's so close to the iPad Air, and there's this feeling that the iPad, despite getting that accessory that was good, that it's just sort of drifted drifting a little bit. Otherwise, like it had its one big hit, but beyond that, you know, the iPad Pro is a is an open question because it, it it got a it got a lackluster update, like the the iPad twenty twenty iPad Pro with one more GPU core and lidar scanner. Like it, it everybody knows that wasn't really a new iPad Pro, uh, to really, and uh, and so that's the mixed message. Is I think people were really excited about the cursor support and the Magic Keyboard, and that that made a big difference. And I I suspect if that hadn't happened, this number would have been way down because again, the iPad Pro update just wasn't that great, and everybody really expects there to be one and that there needs to be a substantial one because the iPad Air really just brings it all into into focus like well wait a second if this is the iPad Air what's the iPad Pro supposed to be I was also really disappointed with iPad OS 14 overall yeah I was hoping well, for more the, there the the fact that the widget stuff all happened on the iPhone the redesign of the home screen and all that and the yep. iPad just sort of got new widgets in the old column on the yep page one of the screen and that's it it definitely uh burned a little bit and and let's let's also say there was definitely a trend in the in the conversation about uh the m1 max that the developer kit for apple silicon was the a12z so it was the ipad pro processor and the m1s are based are essentially an a14x you know they're more than that but that's basically what they are this is this is the same class that we would expect in the ipad pro of processor and what it does is it makes you look at the ipad and say well wait a second if this ipad is just as powerful as these other devices are why can't it do what they do and it just brings the focus back to ipad os right the all the limitations of ipad os that um, are even more visible now. And definitely there was a trend and some people said it where, you know, people who bought iPads and were trying to use them more are now just uh, buying M1 MacBook Airs or MacBook Pros and saying, I'm just going to use this again because it gives me all the, all, you know, all the whizzy new power and battery life and things like that. And I, I don't, I kind of don't make, I kind of don't understand that because I think choosing to use an iPad is about iPad OS, but I totally understand the idea that when you can see what uh, uh, an Apple Silicon Mac is capable of and what an Apple Silicon iPad is capable of, it's very clear what the difference is. And the difference is that iPad OS just doesn't do a whole bunch of stuff. And I think that's fair. And I think that that is one of the sources of, of uh, disappointment on the iPad side for 2020, even though I think it gets a big boost. If I were to vote, I would definitely give it a big score boost for the cursor support and the, uh, and the, and the magic keyboard. Cause those are, those are big. 
watch was 3.8, wearables 4.0, down 0.3 and 0.6, respectively. Um, My feeling, I mean, I was pretty down on the Apple Watch this year. I, I don't really, you know, I spoke about this a bunch of times on the show. I don't really think that Apple did a good job selling the Apple Watch. And many people said that it seemed like it was most like a treading water year. Um, with very small changes in watchOS 7 as well. Uh, when it comes to wearables, the main new product released, I guess, would be AirPods Max, um, and people like them, but they're expensive. Yeah, and this is a category where I originally made this an Apple Watch category, and then I've been transitioning to a wearables category, so I'm asking both numbers, so I've got some history here. Um, uh, yeah, Apple Watch, it was a... It was not much of a year, right? They they just sort of pushed everything forward. One new sensor, as you pointed out, and uh, during our show about it, uh, you know, the explanation of how the blood oxygen sensor works has never been particularly strong. Um, at the same time, wearables, you know, Apple is doing really well with AirPods, but um, some people, you know took their votes after the AirPods Max came out and were skeptical of AirPods Max and all that. This is a category where Apple's still doing pretty well, but definitely I think uh, it shows slippage for the last couple of years. And I think the uh, panel is restless for something more exciting here, for sure. The Ted Lasso category, aka services, got four, up 0.3 year over year. Yeah, oh, I thought you were going to say the Apple TV is the Ted Lasso category. Well, I think people were referencing from the, at least yeah. the comments. No, you're right. You're right. Apple TV Plus is not Apple TV. Apple mm-hmm. Apple TV Plus is services, and the services scores um, were up. This is the biggest, the best score for services ever. It was four out of five. Um, everybody mentioned Ted Lasso in passing, by the way. And I don't know. I think it's really interesting that. Apple, something we didn't talk about in the in the analyst call is that Tim Cook described Apple's method of creating products. And what they said was uh, a slightly different spin on what they usually say. You, you know, usually it's like only Apple can make the synthesis of hardware and software. And what Tim Cook said is we look for products that have a unique synthesis of hardware, software and services. I was like, oh, there it is. Like, Apple feels at this point like services is part of their secret sauce. And the fact is, if you look back to how terrible Apple was at, at, at services and about like dot Mac and mobile me and all of that, like they've come a long way. Is there more to be done? Yes. Are their services perfect? No, they're not, but they, they have gotten better and they have gotten more successful. And the bundle happened in 2020 and the Apple one bundle, I think has a lot uh, going for it. Mm-hmm. They rolled out Fitness Plus. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that they're doing. And yes, Ted Lasso also came out. So, um, so it was a pretty positive uh, category. It was, like I said, the best that services has ever done in my survey. It also makes sense, too, right, that over time, as they're adding to it, if they're doing the right job, this score should continue to increase, right? Like, this is a growth area it's an area that's still being established it makes sense that it's getting better over time and you want to see that happening for them uh you did mention apple tv apple tv got the lowest grade i think it's the lowest grade anything's ever gotten yeah it, it, it was the lowest score averaged 2. 2.1. 2.1 the median score was a two it's an f basically that's what it is it's it's an f it's because they're not doing anything with the hardware I, I, 
yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, it's the hardware is unchanged. It's still overpriced. Um, Apple has undercut the value of the hardware by making its content and even AirPlay available on other competitor <laughs> devices. And the question remains, like, what the heck is the Apple TV for and where is it going and what is it doing? And we got no answers in 2020. And so the score just continues to uh, to drop. Yeah. HomeKit got 3.1, um, up 0.3. More, I th- my feeling on the HomeKit thing, the reason it gets better is as people add more things to the to the homes, you know, they they prefer it more. Like I know my feeling on HomeKit continues to improve because I'm finding more devices that are HomeKit compatible, and when the more devices I have in my home that work with HomeKit, the happier I am with HomeKit, right? And in theory, that should continue over time. But there are also calls for, and I understand this and agree with this, that the Home app could do with some work oh yeah the home app is really bad i wrote a thing about a mac i bought a mac uh piece of mac software last week that i wrote about on six colors that is uh does all these things that the home app can't do i can't couldn't even script the home app i couldn't automate it in any way and i finally found an app that lets me like use keyboard shortcuts to turn devices on and off in my home which is amazing i love it and you can choose from a menu as well and you can script it and like that's great but like why is that not on the mac and the answer is that apple doesn't care about HomeKit on the mac enough to do anything but just port over the ios app and it's not very good but the ios app isn't that great so and it's not that good no it's it's not it's just worse on the mac yeah. HomeKit score has gone up every well, last year it went, it was basically flat. It went down one, one tenth, but it's been on a trajectory upward. It started at 2.1 out of five and is now at 3.1 out of five over the course of this time. So HomeKit has gotten better very slowly. It's a slow build. However, I think a lot of people pointed out there is this HomeKit, uh, or not HomeKit, this Smart Home Alliance that is, uh, what do we call it? Chip? Chip. Or Choi. The, uh, connect- cho- choi, the connected home. Choi something choy yeah i don't like, know like what puck it choy. is that's what it's connected home over ip so like puck choy yeah choy. Choy. okay that i think is some people pointed out that maybe what's going on here really is that apple is not making a lot of moves on smart home right now because they're gonna come out with the spec that basically unifies all the smart home devices into one standard that everybody uses and they'll support that and then they'll move on with their lives and and HomeKit isn't a thing anymore at that point. It's just smart home tech on Apple platforms. That's when they will have to do even more work on making the home app good. Right, right. And I think that that would be one theory is about why the smart home stuff seems to have stalled is that they're not going to put more effort into HomeKit when the new thing is coming. But uh, that home app really isn't cutting it. So I like... Uh, Dan and I were talking about this last week on Six Colors. Um, I my HomeKit interaction is almost entirely through Control Center <laughs> on iOS. Oh yeah, like, me too. I don't, yeah. I don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't want, which is great, right? I I don't want to use the Home app, and part of that is because the Home app isn't very good. Um, but putting it in Control Center is great. It should be in Control Center on the Mac, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it like will be. The I'm sure at some point. Really easy to make home automations sure. in the Home app, but like the Home screen the of the home app is just badly designed from a from a usability perspective yeah. i think it was fine when it was simple but as more stuff's being added to it 
it's creaking quite 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 significantly. Yeah. Speaking of things creaking, <laughs> things that aren't hardware, hardware oh, reliability four point five up zero point six. It's because they fixed the keyboards, and there it- weren't any notable. Hardware issues, new ones anyway, I feel, in 2020. Yeah. Seemed, there weren't any gates of any kind. Everything no, seemed No appreciable to, gates. Yeah, everything seemed to kind of move so, along. You got to see the, the chart on, on Six Colors for hardware reliability. It's pretty amazing. Um, it starts out at 4.4 in 2015, and then it's down, and then down, and then down. <laughs> reaching its its bottom at 2018 and then perks up a little bit in 2019 as i recall because they replaced the butterfly on that one laptop yep it seemed like the end was near and then it is shot up to 4.5 this is and again we can argue whether apple should be rewarded for releasing something that was bad and then replacing it with something that was not bad but the fact is the butterfly keyboard being gone was a big part of this. You can't complain about the butterfly keyboard anymore. The M1 Max, you know, are it's almost too early to say if they have uh, generational problems, but they seem pretty positive for now. And several people called out that Apple did a good job with the AirPods Pro recall or replacement program, the, the rattling sound in the AirPods Pro that people reported that, although that's annoying because it was, not it was a, a failure of the product. Um, I had several people in the comments point out that getting them replaced was e- really easy and fuss free. And you basically say, "Apple, I have a problem," and they're like, "Great, uh, we'll send you new ones and send those back in." Yep. So that's that's not a reliability. It, it's a reliability problem, but it's mitigated by the fact that they had a good response. Um, and uh and that's it's it's nice the butterfly keyboard is no longer a part of the conversation going forward in this category <laughs> software quality is at 3.5 which is up 0.8 this makes sense ios 13 and catalina were really buggy and annoying um and 14 and big sur uh i mean big sur is opinionated but from a quality perspective from a reliability perspective uh seems to have fair better and ios 14 especially yeah i can't decide whether that's just because catalina was so painful and the ios 13 uh, beta was so painful and a lot of these people Mm -hmm. are working on betas either as uh writers or as uh as developers 13 13 was bad at release remember it was like they didn't come out and then it was only on the new phones for a bit it was but but the beta was the beta was also extremely painful so it was an entire summer of pain before it even got to customers yeah and i think that that makes a difference whereas the big sur stuff was again i think not great but was it was a better experience and people still have their complaints about ios 14 and about big sur but i think the general trend was that people felt that it was better i i keep likening catalina to the bad cop and and big sur to the good cop and it's like are they pulling a fast one on us a little bit by getting the bad one out and then going to the good one i don't think intentionally but i will say apple very clearly has a tiktok process for software updates where one year they make a whole bunch of things that break and everybody is miserable and screams bloody murder and then the next year they're like a little bit apologetic and try to fix stuff and try to make it not as bad and you can see that the reason that i say that is you can see it in the sentiment numbers for this category literally every year is up down up down up down it's that's how it goes it was uh 
up in 16, down in 17, up in 18, down in 19, up in 20. Um, unless Apple changes, it changes its approach, uh, be prepared for disappointment in 21 because mm-hmm. that's how it's gone up to now. So unless Apple, you know, with the next version of Mac OS and the next version of iOS decides to take its foot off the gas a little bit and do something different, we're actually up for another bad year because that seems to be how this thing bounces around. And then we have uh, developer relations. 3.1 down 0.3. I can't believe this didn't go down more. Um, Maybe it's just it wasn't starting from a great place. But I think 2020 should have, I feel like it should have been harsher hit than it than it was i think then apple maybe got a bit of a ride here because of the small business program um Uh a lot of people like that but but really that that just felt like a band-aid uh over a terrible injury (laughs) because you know antitrust mistrust problem after problem after problem for like six months uh with with developer relations uh, it feels like this is one of the worst years in modern history, to to my memory. You were among the most negative comments about this category. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you printed them. So, so you, <laughs> yep. So you saying that, like, I'm not surprised. I think that in general, what people saw was the small business program, which helped a lot of developers by giving them a uh, pay raise or as our british uh developers say a pay rise mm-hmm. um the the hay thing um like gruber makes the point about the hay fiasco he calls it is that you know you could see it as an example of everything that's wrong with the app store you could see it as the system working because apple made a mistake and then it corrected it like uh, it corrected it under withering um feedback from the outside never run to the press never never run to the press um i think it's complicated and and so developer relations went down from three four to three one so they gave they cut the take for anybody who's under a million dollars in app store revenue in half a thing that people have been asking for for a long time and the number still went down so i think that that speaks to what you we're talking about which was there's a lot of tough stuff going on apple's under a lot of scrutiny there's a lot of controversy um and that um there's a lot of praise for virtual wwdc by the way and that they pulled that off well and that the virtual labs were actually good if you signed up and got to talk to somebody so there's there's it's a mixed bag and i think i think the fact that the score is 3-1 and that it went from a b minus to a c is an indication of everything you said. And mm. it's only really mitigated by the fact that they did the small business program. Otherwise, it would have gone lower because this mm. was a tough year for developer relations in a lot of ways. But you should look, this isn't a surprise to listeners of this show for me, how I feel about this. Like, it's been a real sticking point for me for most of 2020 because I was just becoming increasingly more frustrated with the thing after thing after thing you know yeah it was Um, it was a lot too it was definitely the knives were out yep and uh and i'm gonna well maybe it happened in the water blood was in the water 
the knives came out in the water. I don't know. Um, but you, right, like the moment that you're like, oh, there's regulatory scrutiny, and this vendor is speaking up, and now this company is going to speak up, and and, and it became like this. Apple started enforcing in-app purchases on companies trying to transition in the pandemic. Yeah. Well, yeah, oh, just... as you and I talked about, so much of this, not all of it. I mean, okay, you could argue that everything here is Apple is caused by Apple. Yeah. Because of Apple's policies. But I would say there's Apple's policies that it has very carefully considered. And then there's the stupid stuff Apple or people at Apple did that brought more controversy on them that was totally unnecessary. And that's the stuff that was, oh, some reviewer at the App Store misinterpreted or interpreted properly a mention from a higher up that they really want to squeeze more money out of businesses that are built on the on on free apps and so that they're going to start shaking them all down for cash and i'm still unclear whether that was well i think it was a policy i think I don't know whether it was a policy from the top or whether there was somewhere kind of down in the chain who decided that that was going to be the policy, but that's what led to all of these companies with free apps being told you need to offer an in-app purchase. And and again, it, I'm still not clear on whether that was you need to offer an in-app purchase or whether they thought they were being helpful and saying, you know, you could offer an in-app purchase and wouldn't that be nice? But because of Apple's heavy-handed re- reputation and the fear of Apple rejecting their apps, that people take it as a threat or whether it was actually intended as a threat, it doesn't matter. And it was a dumb thing for them to do that they seem to have backed off of to a certain extent now. But like, that's the fascinating combination of what happened in 2020 is that some of it was the natural outcome of some of Apple's longstanding app store policies and approaches to having its own controlled environment. And some of it was super dumb stuff that they did that brought more scrutiny and more attention on their practices at exactly the wrong moment to do it. And that that's 2020 right there. We'll see what happens this year. but. Um, it has emboldened uh, others to use those arguments to buttress their own arguments. So with Facebook, what you see now is that Facebook, because of Apple's attempt to change its privacy policy for uh, apps in iOS 14 that's coming up, this this tracking limitation that they put off for a long time, but they're they're putting into effect now. This is why Facebook is in a very public spat with Apple about this that we haven't talked about a lot and we're going to have to talk about next time. Um, It allows Mark Zuckerberg to use the specter of, ooh, bad Apple being mean to developers and say, see, they're being mean to us too. And I would argue that that's completely bogus and it is a political trick that Zuckerberg is pulling to wrap himself in all the other developers that are put upon by Apple and say, we too are a put upon developer when they're not. But the fact is that's how it works. That's how politics works is they open the door. Apple opened the door with a bunch of dumb moves and it lets Facebook press that button. And they're pressing it because they're trying to get every advantage they possibly can in fighting Apple's new uh, privacy and tracking policy. And environment and social issues, 3.7 up 0.4. You know, they did a lot during the pandemic, lots of masks, lots of donations. They worked with Google on the exposure notification. Um, Charges, this is like, I expect good and bad, depending on where you come from, right? That it's like, 
there there could be an environmental impact. We're told there's an environmental impact. Um, but obviously some people would take it as a frustrating point because Apple didn't really seem to do anything for the customer in the removal of these things because it definitely seems like they may have saved some money here. Um, and there are a lot of, I think here more than anywhere else, there's a lot of questioning around uh, Apple's reliance on China and how it relates to its privacy stances and stuff like that in in these columns, which is a fair criticism to yeah. levy of them, and this is the place to do it. Well, I think, um, so this number went up, and I think, yeah, it's a mixed bag. That's the bottom line, is it's a mixed bag. I mm-hmm. think people were impressed by the fact that, I mean, okay, so Devendra Hardawar from Engadget said what I think is maybe the perfect encapsulation of this complexity, which is, he said, it's hard to praise any tech company when it comes to social impact these days, but I appreciate Apple is still holding strong when it comes to consumer privacy. And I thought that was, I thought that that was good. That That is basically saying, look, there are lots of issues with tech companies and how they affect our society. And we can praise some parts of what Apple's doing while criticizing others. And I think if you read these comments, you will get all of it. You will get... It's great that Apple is standing up to Facebook in terms of privacy. It's great that Apple has green initiatives. I got there were there were comments about that, which which ha- happen every year that they're going to have green power and they're investing in solar and they want everything to be recyclable and they're trying to find ways to reclaim more of the material so that they don't have to be mined and like they're doing a lot of stuff like that. At the same time, it's they're very reliant on China. Um, they, uh, you know, it's a dictatorship. It's an authoritarian government. Um, they have issues in other countries where they follow the laws of those countries, but their laws put into effect by authoritarian governments in order to control their population. There are lots of other issues involved, um, with Apple's place in the world and it's complicated. So, so like you can, you can praise their, uh, oh, I should mention, uh, several people mentioned that they took the charter, the the charger out of the iPhone box as a, as a positive, like everybody thought it was the end of the world and then Apple did it and it wasn't the end of the world. And now everybody else is going to do it. And that is a net. Yes. It saves the money, as you said, but it's a net environmental gain. I, I like it's, it's all this stuff. The, The truth is that there are like 50 different things happening inside this category. And I just, I, I, when I started this survey, I got pushback from people who were like, why is that a category in the survey? And it's like, well, because Apple talks a lot about this stuff. And I think it's worth analyzing how they did. Positive and negative. Apple is a huge company. It has an impact on the world. It fancies itself as a company that has an impact on the world. So let's let's look at that. And uh, And the comments in this category are always the kind of messiest and most all over the place. And I love it. I think that that is, uh, I think it's interesting every time. I think it's always a, an interesting read. So that's the report card for the year. That, that's it for, for 2020. Finally, I think we can put 2020 away. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs> out. Get out. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. Power through PDFs with the Mac community's favorite PDF editor so you can fall in love with that work again because with PDF Pen, you show PDFs who's the boss because you can edit any PDF with a click of a button, fix typos, add text as easily as you would in Word or Pages. You can breathe new life into paper documents with the magic of OCR to turn images of handwritten and printed text into content that you can search, copy, and 
edit, you can protect your content to ensure your documents are safe with password protection, metadata removal, and true redaction, and look like a pro, impress your colleagues and your clients with efficient, secure, and 100% digital workflows to help you fill out, sign, and copy edit like it's 2021, basically, because this is the power you have available to you right now if you use PDF Pen. I used PDF Pen this morning on my Mac to sign a contract. If you're using a laptop, I have a trackpad. I really like that you have the ability to sign with your finger and add it there. It's obviously much nicer to do this on an uh, iPad with an Apple Pencil, which you can do with PDF Pen for iPad as well. Uh, but I really like that even with the Mac, I can still sign with my finger very easily and, a pen and like put that into any PDF that I need to add a signature to. PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro works with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone for seamless editing across devices with cloud services such as iCloud, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, and more. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That is smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Smile and PDF Pen for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to finish out today's episode. Johan asks, do you use Twitter lists? Oh, what a setup. I love this question. Yes, I do. You do? Huh? I love them. Uh, okay. I use them all the time, every okay. day. Okay. Uh, this is actually one of the things I love about Twitterific on the iPad is that it's got a sidebar with all your safe searches and your lists in it. Mm -hmm. And you can actually assign lists to um, icons to the navigation scheme. So I have lists in my nav. I have like the main timeline mentions a search and a couple of lists in my Twitter, it, Twitterific interface. Um, I have a list for sports stuff. So I use lists basically as alternate timelines. Um, because I don't want them all mixed in my same timeline. And the ones that have really stuck, sports is the big one. All the sports writers and stuff that I follow, there's a sports list. If I want to see what's going on in sports stuff that I care about, I look at my sports list. I also have a science list. That's where all the scientists and space people are. Um, I follow a few sports people and science people in my main timeline by following them, but I have a, a larger group in those lists. Okay. And I use those lists all the time, and I love it. I, I feel like I wish... I wish lists were a bigger part of Twitter because I feel like Twitter is better when you create a bunch of different timelines by subject matter than it is when they're all poured into one thing. Cause like I could not have all the sports writers and all the scientists and all the space people and everybody else in my main timeline. It would be too much. And I don't check the sports list. Like I check the main timeline. But a few times a day, I will go and say, what's going on in sports? And I will switch to the sports list and see the links and all of that. And uh, it's great. So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Twitter lists. So these are mostly people you're not following. It's, it's you... almost entirely people I'm not following. That's the whole point is I don't want them in my timeline. I want them in my list timeline. So it's like, I would say it's, in terms of Twitter, I'm not following them. I would argue that um, you should think of your follower list as a list and that you've got a bunch of different lists. You've got your main list that is people you follow and then you've got other lists. But I think that it's the same concept. I think 
I've got my timeline list and my sports list and my science list and a couple other lists. That's really how I use it. In fact, at one point I decided my timeline was way too full. And while there were a bunch of people who I liked seeing their tweets sometimes, but it was just the volume of tweets in my, in my follow list was too great. So I unfollowed about like a hundred people and put them in a list of other people, interesting people. Mm, Okay. Um, because I, I didn't, I I couldn't handle the volume, but I didn't want to just say goodbye to them and never see them again, but I couldn't handle the volume in my main timeline. And so I just made a list that's like the, um, again, you could argue that means they're the, like they're the B team, but I think I called the list something like important people. (laughs) (laughs) Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. You're on a list. Um, and I know it's confusing because I will respond to people in who are in my list and, and they'll, I know if they look, I, I'm not following them and that's weird. And that can be a, a negative single. Sometimes somebody who's not following you replies to you and you're like, oh boy, what's this going to be? But, um, I am, they're just in, they're in my list instead of in my main timeline. I love it. Interesting. Okay. So, cause I know some people do what you're doing and then only live in lists, but you have well, like a regular timeline and then move around. That's the other way to do it. I've been using Twitter so long that that's just sort of where I am. But yes, that would be the other way to do it is follow. Uh, some people definitely do this, right? Follow a thousand people, 5,000 people. And how can you use Twitter that way? And the answer is, well, they don't. They, they either aren't looking at Twitter <laughs> broadcast only, or they're only looking at their curated lists. And I could do that. I just haven't for whatever reason. It's been the subject matter stuff. I, I curate my follow list more as that's the main thing that I look at. And um, I could make that a list, but I don't. I don't use Twitter lists at all. It, it, what you are saying sounds great. Well, you I know, just... one of the problems is the Twitter started with lists and then for a while they're like, nope, lists aren't good. And it looked like they were maybe going away. And then recently they seem to have gotten the list religion a little bit and are kind of back on that a little bit. Yeah, and the official I think they're great. app has like proper support where you can like switch between timelines from list to list so yeah and and lists that's why i I like lists is because i like having i mean it is true you now have multiple views of twitter which is like oh boy now i've got now there's two twitters now there's three twitters i know all i would be doing (laughs) is increasing my twitter usage twitter overheads yeah yeah well and the way the way i viewed it is again it's almost like a newspaper or something like that right it's like i have my sports writers list and it's great like it if there's something, an event going on, a sports event related going on, I pop into that list all the time. It's so great. And when I, I don't want to see it, it's just, it, I don't look at it. And then I go back there later and say, well, what hap- what's going on? What happened in the sports list? I, I haven't been using uh, Nuzzle for a while, but Nuzzle is this um, this service that, that basically aggregates all the links in your Twitter timeline mm-hmm. and creates a, a list of links. It's almost like turning your Twitter timeline into an RSS feed. And it uses lists as well as your main timeline. And that's great because I end up with this in, uh, incredible curated science links list yeah. and a curated sports links list that are separate from my main timeline, but that I can read all the articles that just kind of flow in there. So it's great. But yeah, if I'm watching it's baseball season and I'm watching a baseball game or it's a uh, college football season, I'm watching a Cal game, something like that. Uh, get a sports list up there and it's great. And then I can go back to my regular life and not check the sports list for a while. I love it. I used to use Nuzzle, but I used to have this like weird issue with it because like I follow a lot of people at the Verge and Polygon, so those all float right to the top. So right? basically, all <laughs> just be constant. Like you know, if they have a big story or whatever, 
loads of the people there will will share it. But then it it just meant that like uh, if you follow a bunch of people who work at the same outlet, you end up just having Nuzzle completely yes. monopolized by one outlet, and then that that becomes tricky. Zach asks, Rosetta 1 stayed in macOS 10 for five years. By that time, it seemed like most of the apps had moved over uh, and it wasn't a huge loss for the platform. What about this time? How long do you think Apple are going to keep Rosetta 2 around? And do you think it has the potential to sting more than last time when they eventually remove it? I kind of want to predict that it's not going to go away for a long time because there's so much Intel stuff now, including command line stuff. And although it will eventually all get rebuilt for Apple Silicon, I feel like, I don't know, my hope... (laughs) Okay, let me back up. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges with, with Rosetta, the original, was that people were making the move from PowerPC uh, to Intel. And they wanted to provide a spur for people moving from PowerPC to Intel by saying at some point your old PowerPC apps just won't work. With Catalina getting rid of the 32-bit stuff, so it's only 64-bit, and with, I think, the uptake of Apple Silicon apps being pretty good already, I think that Apple is going to have less of a motivation to protect or or to to spur the laggards to update. They really had to push people. They did. They did yeah. to to go from PowerPC to Intel and and they're not in that position now. Uh, they're they're just not. Rosetta 2 could just be a part of macOS like basically indefinitely at this point. Then, yeah. You know. And I and I keep thinking about like well if all they're running is 64-bit apps because Catalina made deprecated all the 32-bit Intel apps, like I feel like they could do that for a long time mm-hmm. and say, look, if an app was was current enough to get to 64-bit, then probably the overhead of running it is not as bad. That's why, one of the reasons they cleared out the 32-bit apps. And also, again, I just keep coming back to the fact that there's probably an advantage in having an Intel compiled binary for some obscure something just work on Apple Silicon. Like you don't even have to worry about it. Like if you want to do that. And I get that at some point Apple's going to want to say we need to stop updating this and we really need you to build your stuff and we're going to break compatibility and that's going to force these people to build for Apple Silicon. I get it. And it will happen, but like I don't know. I don't see the need for aggression on that front. Um in the end it's going to it's going to happen that somebody in a year or two is going to look at what's going on with Apple Silicon and Intel and make a judgment about like do we even need to bother or is this just pointless because everything is compiled for Apple Silicon now. And at that point they absolutely will remove it. Um and alternatively if they say oh um we need to provide a spur to some laggards and get them all, you know, it's more important for us to sort of force them to get on our platform than it is for us to coddle them with Rosetta 2 then maybe we'll we'll get there but I don't know it's just my gut feeling and I have nothing basing this on other than sort of like my gut feeling is Apple's in a different place where it doesn't need to work as hard to to spur people along um and that they won't necessarily need to give Rosetta 2 a a, a, an unnatural death they can just sort of let it die through irrelevance over time mm. but i don't know 
Rajiv asks, would you have any interest in an iPad or Apple Watch annual upgrade program? If a, if something like that was to exist. Well, I use the iPad Pro. It doesn't get updated every year. So, <laughs> yeah, I no. Mean, it, that is, that is presume, I guess we have to presume some kind of, uh, uh, say, like an 18-month cycle or something or whatever. Um, I would be inclined to do this for the iPad. Just because it's an expensive, it's a more expensive purchase, you know. So I would be more inclined to do it for for an iPad um, than an iPhone, even for me. Um, but yeah, because like the iPhone is kind of something where I'm always going to get it, and they have really good resale value, and there's or there's always people in my family who need a new phone or whatever. But I feel don't feel the same for the say an iPad or iPad Pro. I would be maybe a little bit more inclined to get an iPad Pro with Apple Care and all that kind of stuff on a monthly thing, uh, like like they do for for the iPhone. I think I, that that would be the product of all of them that I would be the most inclined to want to go into something like that for. Yeah, um, I'd be intrigued. I'm intrigued in general by the idea of paying an annual fee and getting you know and and being able to upgrade with a lot less pain at regular intervals but the question is what are those intervals and do they match um i know because i don't do the iphone upgrade plan but i know that some people really like it because it means that they don't have to they don't have to either hand down or resell i hand down my iphones so actually i find it valuable to just buy a new one and hand the old one down but i know there are people who don't do that and and you end up having to resell it and with a mac that it's like that like i'm thinking they do a new imac do i get rid of my imac pro and it's like well reselling the imac pro is what i should do but oh reselling a computer is such a pain right um the upgrade program, it's all built in. Like you return your old one and you get a new one and you pay another fee and it's regulated over time. I think uh, for a lot of people that makes sense. I'm not sure it makes sense for the way I use my Macs. Um, I'm always wanting, this is the key, right? I am always wanting the best iPad Pro, right? Give it to me. Give it to me the best iPad Pro. So if I could be on some sort of cycle, and, and they were committing to every 18 months or two years or whatever, giving me the latest and greatest. And I, and I could pay a fee and I return that one and I get a new one. I'd be interested in that. Um, he also mentioned the watch and that's a case where I think maybe I would be interested in that. Um, okay. because I use my Apple watch a lot and they come out with it every year. And so I would be, I would be interested in that. I just get the, you know, the sport level. And, and so I look at that and think maybe that would work, would actually work for me that I would mm. just be guaranteed that every year I get the new Apple watch and I use the new Apple watch for a year and then I send it back and get the new Apple watch and I just pay a monthly fee for that. I'd be interested in that maybe the most of any of them. So I think it's funny that Rajiv asked, I think, I think maybe more because I don't hand down my Apple watches. Lauren uses an Apple watch, but she uses the smaller model. Right. So I don't, and, and my son doesn't use an Apple watch. So I, I don't have a hand-me-down issue there. I just, I really kind of want to get rid of my Apple Watch and get the new one. And so I'd be intrigued by that. I think Apple should do this. I think Apple should be much more aggressive in sort of like putting people on on uh, upgrade plans because it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you don't have to do it, but it is convenient in a bunch of different ways. And I think it's good for Apple too. 
and yes, look, I know we both know you can buy Apple products on credit and they have all these things, but the upgrade program, the iPhone upgrade program is, is a very different thing. It comes with additional benefits and this would be expanding that product offering to other products. It's not just about buying something on an interest-free credit plan. You know, the upgrade program gets you, like you get one, the new one as soon as possible. They even open up specific stock for you. You get yep. Apple Care. you know, you get, uh-huh. you get more in the whole package. And, and by taking your old phone back, you know, that that is built into the cost and you yep. end up spending this sort of, and for a lot of people having a regular, look, there are people who've got money in the bank and buying a phone for $1,000 is not a problem. And there are other people who are like, hmm, that's a lot of money, and I don't necessarily have that in the bank at any one time. And there is something to be said for regularizing your out, your output. Right? X like amounts of $10 a month can be way easier to swallow than... Yeah. You know. And I get, I get that if you do the math and you do the work and you're like, I have the money in the bank, I can resell or hand down the other phone, and that's a better deal for me. It is. It's not true for everybody. Um, not true financially, not true in terms of like mental energy and stress about getting rid of an old computer or phone. So, you know, I think I would not ever advocate that Apple drop direct sales of devices and only go to a subscription model, right? Like, no, that's no. But uh, I do think that there are places and the watch for me is the one where I actually am like, actually that because of the way I use the watch and I like the watch, they do an annual cycle and I don't hand it down. Um, that one hits me kind of in the right spot where I'd be like, maybe, maybe so. Maybe annual watch plan would be something I'd be interested in. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord. You can get access to the Discord and to the uh pre-release versions of 20 max or 2020 if you are an upgrade plus subscriber where you get upgrade with no ads and additional content just go to getupgradeplus.com to find out more and sign up uh we if you thank you to our sponsors for this week smile with pdf pen microsoft lists and bombus uh, if you would like to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com and he is at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Curley. <laughs>